name is Preeti Chibber, and this is a very special episode of Tar Valen or Bust, brought to you in part by Nerds of Color. I have two interviews to share with you all today that I am so excited about, the first with Rosamund Pike, who plays Moiraine, and the second with Hamid Anamishaun, who plays Loyal. Hi! Hi, Hi! Nice to see you again! You too. This is so wonderful. I'm with Nerds of Color and the podcast Tar Valen or Bust. I am <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so excited to be speaking Which with you. Which are you then, pretty? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think I have to say blue. Thank you. I mean, I would be, I would say too. I would be blue too. <laughs> That's a really good question. And I can't believe I didn't write it down to ask you what Aja you thought you were. <laughs> So thank you for bringing it up right at the top of the interview. <laughs> um, so I, I really want to get right into it because I'm so excited with kind of how the series has progressed and the episode we got this week. Um, so Rafe and the creative team have made some significant updates, I think, to the relationship between Moiraine and Suen, um, making the the romance explicit rather than implied. Can you speak to that at all and what you find so compelling about these strong, complicated women? In, in, in um, New Spring, which is the prequel to the whole series, um, you know, we, we meet Moraine and Suan and their friendship and their kind of, you know, it's almost like a, you, you feel about them like a kind of girls boarding school. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's really characterful, they're kind of quite naughty, they like to play pranks, they, it's very endearing. Um, and, and, and they're famously described as pillow friends, which there's been lots of debate over, you know, what that means. And it's open to, of course, all sorts of interpretation. And, you know, Rafe is always looking in our show to raise the stakes for these characters to really give dramatic, you know, like with Perrin having a wife and that whole debate around violence coming to kind of, intense focus for him through the accidental murder of his wife. Um, and with Moraine, you know, she's a she's in the blue Aja. They, um, you know, they're Aja who follow causes. They have secrets, they have spy networks. Um, you know, it's, it's she, 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 she rides, the, the whole Aja rides on finding out information and knowing more than others. She's in a very, very treacherous environment in terms of, you know, um, the White Tower being full of everybody trying to know one another's business, you know, all kinds of um, political subtleties that we're only just getting the measure of. And, and for the Amal to be having a relationship with the Amalin seat is about the most dangerous thing you could possibly embark on. I mean, the Amalin seat is, I mean, like the Pope in terms of, you know, how celibate she should be right and how she should be sworn to have no love but the throne um so for moraine and suan to maintain this is not only almost impossible to actually achieve because of the the scant time that you'd get to be together but also i mean it's like dealing with kryptonite i mean it's about the most dangerously explosive thing you could do um so it shows a Moraine who seems so controlled to us most of the time, you know, quite what a risk taker she is and how far she's, how far, it gives us a taste of how far she's prepared to go for what she believes in, you know? Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I have because we're we're seeing sort of more of that, that version of Moiraine as she comes into the tower of what she is willing to do, how much she does or does not 
care about the children in terms of the greater good and this this larger cause she's committed to. And and so how far do you think Moiraine would go in those circumstances? She'd do whatever is necessary for what she believes in. I mean, that includes dying for her cause. I mean, that's that, you know, that's the thing that I think, you know, whatever you feel about Moraine, if you like her, if you don't like her, you suddenly respect her hugely because you realize that this is a cause for which she's prepared to die. Um, you know, to save humanity as she sees it. It's been given to her, you know, she's been delivered this role and she is going to see it through whatever the cost. And I think you cannot help but respect that. I I do. The the scene, you know, we've I think we've uh heard you talk a lot about the relationship between Moiraine and Lan and how you prepared yeah. for that. But there is the scene with the breaking between you and Suan and you and the tower with Moiraine and the tower in this episode, which was heartbreaking and, and beautiful. And um d- is there a way that you prepared for that scene and the, and the gravity of it? Um, we, I mean, there were lots of things, you know, you have to, you know, one of the things you have to do is learn how to touch the oath rod without making it look like a cock. (laughs) I mean, that is one of the biggest challenges of preparing for that scene, you know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You can imagine though, right? You have to, and, and it's such a powerful instrument i would say in this world that it's very you know we have to get the gravity of it without it looking like a sort of phallic symbol which is bloody difficult i can tell you you know but i think we did it i think we did Um, (laughs) success wasn't without its without its challenges because we cannot in this extraordinary moment of sort of you know in this all-female world we can't have a sort of male symbol kind of eclipse the whole proceedings um so that was one thing but on a more serious note you you know it's this it's the challenge of getting a very private moment in a public space and I think that has always moved me very much I've always thought you know these these films these stories where something incredibly personal has to happen in a massive space because that's the only time you get I've always found that you know, deeply, deeply moving. Um, uh, I can't think of a precise example now, but you, you know, even, even when somebody has to say goodbye at an airport, you know, and that's the last time they're gonna see their love for, you know, somebody going off to war or somebody, you know, that, that private, private moment in a huge public space is always very affecting in many ways. Um, and I think because it is, um, an oath a proper and and the way Robert Jordan writes about oaths is that it's it it has a physically binding feeling he talks about it sort of almost feeling like it's stretching your skin as a as something is as you take your oath so the same as when you swear your oaths to be an Aes Sedai you know that's why they say it's not that we do not break them it's that we cannot break them it's like a so I imagine it's a bit like being feeling like your whole body is being wrapped in shrink wrap that that's the feeling that it has on your skin like a tightening of everything so I had to find a physical way of you know that's going to be missed by most people watching the episode but if you watch it again you might be able to see that um you know and it's it's just there for 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 me and for sort of intense fans of the book I suppose um 
but it's obviously Moraine operating on many, many levels. You know, she has to keep up the display of shame for the tower and for all the other Aes Sedai who are all very intelligent, very, very um, powerful women who are quick to suspect one another, you know, and she has to keep up the, the idea of shame and accept that shame upon her, lose her friendship, but know that that is the only way that she can continue the mission. But it's also something that will mean that she cannot see the woman she loves for potentially forever. I mean, it's just the stakes are so enormous at that point. Um, and I was very lucky to have Sophie to play with. You know, we were, you know, she's a great actress and we were very extremely lucky to get her as Swan. It it was it was such a beautiful scene. Like I, I I've seen the episode a few times and I cry kind of every time it happens. Gosh, that means a lot. That means a lot. Well, I think it is. I mean, if it does make you cry, it's maybe it is that. Is is it because of that very, very personal moment that has to take place in a public space, or is it the sort of the heart, the loss, or the or the sacrifice, or what is it? Do you think that makes you feel? I think uh, the show juxtaposed quite well, like you said you have this very private moment in a public space, but we got to see them be real and in a private space together. And we had that so we could see what they're losing so quickly after it's introduced to us. And it feels, I think both of you did such a wonderful job to to show us kind of how the depth of feeling between the two of them and the history, even if we don't get to see it. And Mm. so those combined scenes were, tragic because like you said earlier Moiraine has shown us what she's willing to sacrifice and what she's willing to do and this is a moment where it crystallized I think yeah yes good good I mean we have to you know so you suddenly respect her in a new way don't you as she goes forward and she's about to take those children into the way gate you know that she's putting her life on the line and her personal life completely is at the mercy of her mission I mean and you yeah and you understand why when she says things like if if it doesn't matter all that matters is defeating the dark one and even though we've come to love and know these kids as they go on this journey and we don't want anyone to die we understand her perspective because it's not like she's holding herself to a different standard no that's true that's true yeah she's not exactly and she's prepared to die for it, absolutely. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I have to ask very quickly, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this question, but that private space the two of you met, yes. which looked like the fisher, the fisherman's shack that Sue and yes. grew up in, what was it? Where were you? Well, it's the idea a bit like you know, it's the idea that, uh, uh, that that we've each got this angry owl in our room. That's the painting, you know, that painting that Moraine has in her room. Mm-hmm. It allows her to um, to enter this kind of parallel world that does exist, but it's like a portal into another world that's that's just separative. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm listening. And, and. But it's not a dream, you know. It's not a dream. It's, it's real. It's a, it's a portal into another space that is a space that's probably is somewhere near the White Tower, but 
it's not in the White Tower. It's like a space that they can each access without going through the town and, but only through this painting that must remain incredibly secret that there's a, you know, I mean, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? It's like a sort of secret passage. And, but it is of course, exactly inspired <clears throat> by the fishing art that we see at the beginning of her as a child. And it's, it's Suan where she came from and that, you know, that few people see the Amelin seat in that way, but it's not a dream, which I know some people wondered if it was a dream, it, it was real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very curious about that because my instinct was that perhaps it's the introduction of the dream space, but I think your answer has kind of opened up a lot more, more questions that I am excited to see yeah. answered as the show yeah. goes on. Yeah, there's a lot more spaces and a lot more playing with time and space as the show goes on, for sure. The dream world does become important. <laughs> I know I'm trying to, I, my, my uh, co-host and I are rereading the books and that's what our podcast is, is going very in depth. So it's been fun just kind of see how the show and the books, the, the books interact because it doesn't. Forgive me, you know, is your podcast already running? Mm-hmm. How many, uh, I must listen to it. How, oh. <laughs> how, how long have you been, how uh, long? <laughs> have, you had it? have you had it like long before the series we actually have been talking about it for years and when a year about a year ago we kicked it off and started our kind of very very in-depth reread of the series in anticipation of the the show finally coming to air which we've been do you get for. other fan guests on the show or not often but we're trying to figure out a way to make that happen this is this is our foray into interviews now actually okay. but it it has been fun because the show is such a wonderful I think true adaptation meaning it's not a copy it is pulling the best parts of the books and and interweaving them in a very new way um, which has been exciting to see because even though I've read the books I have no idea how the rest of the season is going to go which is an exciting place to be in no, and I think Rafe's captured the, you know, I recently recorded an audiobook of The Eye of the World. And in 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 you know, obviously the very, very close reading that that work entails, um, it just gave me renewed reverence really for what for A for Robert Jordan's writing, but B for the way Rafe has so expertly kind of captured the, all the meaning held in the books while inevitably throwing some some stuff away because you have to but he's been so clever in like making sure that a dedicated fan audience know that he's read the books and know that he's going to touch on these details that are important even if it's not in the place that they're expecting and I've just been marveling really at the doing the audiobook really made me marvel anew at the way he's the way he's structured season one really yeah I was going to ask about the audiobook because I was wondering if doing that sort of intensive close reading and and long reading of the books where Moiraine doesn't really get a point of view in the way a lot of the other characters do um and her the shift of focus to her on screen has that changed or or updated the way you're approaching the character as you go into the second season um, 
Well, I mean, I think my Moraine in the audiobook is a bit different from my Moraine on the screen because she's written differently and her her idiolect is different the way she talks is is slightly different she's more removed in the books she's slightly more ethereal and i think my moraine in the show is more robust in a way it's more present because she just is and and so i was always torn you know this this very sort of light and slightly sort of mysterious voice that moraine has in the books it didn't really work for the moraine in the show so i try and find places for that like like in the riding scene with egwene where she says a line that's very obviously very important like you know remember that the truth um we speak may not be the truth you think you hear so listen carefully you know things like that i can weave in some of moraine the book moraines um kind of mm, sort of what would you call it the sort of like a reticence intrigue or, or something mm, kind of, yes you know? um whereas you know those sort of driving speeches that she makes in the series like the one before they go into the waygate at the end of six you know the the land will burn and the you know the darkness will spread over the earth you know there's nothing like that in the eye of the world that moraine says so you know, she doesn't really make those kind of battle cry speeches, which you have to in the series because you've got to motivate these people and the audience to get behind you, you know. So, you know, she's more of a general, I suppose. Um, but but I'm I'm very aware of just making sure that I have time for all of it. And, and hopefully by the time my work's done, you'll feel the moraine of the books and and the moraine of the series and they will all sort of mesh they will both mesh um but uh i i i'm it was very interesting because i had this very extraordinary moment doing the audiobook when it got to faldara and agomar tells the story of um lan and he explains she he explains to the young ones you know why lan is the uncrowned king of the malkier and I got to this part in the read. And suddenly I was in Agomar's voice doing the, and suddenly I had tears just pouring down my face. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I thought, bloody hell, I thought this is, this is the bond. This is, this is the bond that I feel with Lan coming, you know, it's, it's in me. It's the strange connection that the brain makes, you know, it's the, it's the fact that my brain has connected me so deeply with this man, my my real Rosamond's brain, that when I came upon it in the book, the floodgates just opened, and it, I was not expecting it. I was not, you know, I mean, Agomar's voice. Agomar's not going to be blubbing at that point, but it was. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't speak. I was so overcome with emotion, and that's the, you know, that's what's very interesting about doing the audiobook when I'm so close to all these characters, particularly the bits involving Lan, actually. Um, there were lots of other mysterious things that happened during the read, but um, that, was one of the, that was one of them. <laughs> it, is, it is truly wonderful to hear how connected you feel to the material that I think we've all been so excited to see on screen. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm out of time, but thank you so, so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. And um, just remind me of the name of the podcast because I heard it at the beginning. 
but it's tar valen or bust i Oh, yeah. I have to relearn how to say Tarvalon. We haven't, we haven't. Uh, no, we say Tarvalon. We say Yeah, Tarvalon. you say Tarvalon. We say Tarvalon. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, we say Tarvalon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you again. All right. Lovely to speak to you. Hi. Hello. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with me today. Um, well, thanks for having me. I am very, very excited to talk to you because Loyal is one of my favorite, favorite characters. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, and so I guess first off, I wanted to ask you, what is it that excited you about this character? Um, and did you do anything in particular to prepare? Like, what was the best part of playing the Ogier? Um, so when I first auditioned, I didn't know necessarily what I was auditioning for. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting. Um, it was oh, what was it? It was it wasn't like there was any. I think there was a little bit of secrecy because the name I had wasn't uh, Loyal. It was Lawrence. So um, yeah, so it was uh, it was all very you know hush hush. So I didn't really know what I was auditioning for. All I knew is that I was auditioning for this really big person, this really big thing. That's all I knew. Um, and then uh, when I got the role, um, obviously, of course, I researched about him and about the Ogier and about the Wheel of Time. And I didn't I didn't realize how big it was. And I there was that instant pressure of like, oh no, I hope I do, you know, I really want to do a good job. Um, but yes, getting into character was, I guess like the most fun bit, for, uh, I, I think for like, for an actor, I think that's like the best bit about, you know, being an actor is like getting into character and stuff. So definitely the costuming, prosthetics, that really helped a lot. But also by getting the, the spirit and the, the essence of Loyal right, not just you know aesthetically but you know spiritually i think it was important for me to get that the 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 melody of 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 loyal right so working with naomi who is the the dialect coach of at the wheel of time um and also doing a lot of work in terms of movement um you know yeah so i i, I worked i think i worked really hard trying to you know getting his um his mannerisms down i mean it was all about making you know i Obviously, I took a lot from the source material as well, but it was about creating my own interpretation of him because he would, he is essentially a part of me, you know. So it was about making creating my own interpretation of him, and I hope I hope I did an okay job. Uh, I've been really enjoying your interpretation of the character, um, and you Thank mentioned you. Uh, costuming and and makeup of and and all of that. And something I really like is that they've maintained things like hair texture. And, mm -hmm. and skin color, um, were you surprised by that? And and how long does it take uh, for you to kind of get into that loyal persona? Okay, so it so in the beginning, because we had to, there was a lot of trial and error, we had to find like the right face. <laughs> so we had to put on like a lot of different faces. And then we found the right one, because it, 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 it's all practical. Uh, for me, I have to be able to act through the prosthetic, you know? So you'd be able to see the stuff going on in my face, and, you know. Uh, so we had to find the right face. And once we once we got that down, 
it was about um again like i said finding so finding the, the essence of the spirit of loya through the textures and the in the costume with isis and then finding you know um that with the mu effects of nick and dixie and jack who were the team that i was working i work with getting in, into the prosthetics um so yeah it took it takes a it takes about at the beginning it took about four uh, four hours maybe a bit longer and then now we've got it down to two two and a half hours oh that's nice <laughs> yeah 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 uh, <laughs> the early morning calls were were tricky but it's <laughs> it's it needs to be done <laughs> um so you you're kind of coming in in the latter half of the season um yes. with this core group that the viewers have been following now for a couple episodes what do you find Loyal's role is kind of as this newcomer and as we go in towards the end, you know, getting to the end of the season now? That's a really good question. I think his role is, I think all he wants to do is just help in any which way he can, which is what I love about him. So like, you know, even when he finally meets Moraine and what she asks him, to do and his you know trepidations towards that but he's you know he's caught himself in a little bit of a he's backed himself into a little bit of a corner because he knows he kind of doesn't want to do it but he knows that he wants to help them so I think his role in the latter half of the season is just helping in any which way in, in any way possible just helping them do you have a favorite scene or even like a, a favorite line that you can share with us favorite line oh I have a favorite I have a favorite scene mm -hmm. uh which you will see to you which you will see in uh, this week's episode okay uh yeah. I know it's 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 hard because you're like I don't want to be spoilery but I, yeah. I think <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I have sort of really enjoyed about loyal loyals sorry i have to be used to saying loyal now because i've said loyal loyal for so long <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, something i've really enjoyed about loyal's introduction to the story is sort of the joy that he brings to every scene he's in mm -hmm. and it's a it's quite a serious story it's quite a, a heavy thing these kids are going through um how did you find balancing that when you were bringing it into scenes with the with your um fellow actors yeah I so I I when I when I joined when I joined the crew it was I came in halfway and uh but I I always knew that I had to come in with my own my own energy they had their energy their you know their characters are going through some stuff you know but I but I know that you know I meet Randon Tarvalon in the library with my favorite place you know, or Loyal's favorite place. So he's going to come, he's always going to come with a certain type of, uh, a, a different type of energy. Then they've been on the road for a month and, you know, Loyal's been in the library. Do you know what I'm saying? So there was always going to be that, you know, so I, I, didn't, I didn't quite pay attention to that so much as an actor. I kind of stayed away from their energy and made sure that my energy stayed intact. So that, and it, all, and it was always going to make sense because this, this isn't a character that's going to sort of spin them for a loop, you know what I mean? So it was always gonna, it was always gonna make sense, you know, um, in, in, in terms of telling the story and stuff. So I was never worried about that. But what I was worried about was keeping my energy my own rather than trying to dip into theirs because they're um, dipping into the, you know, 
the two rivers, the two rivers, because that's not where I, that's not where Loyal's come from, and he hasn't been on the road for a month or or, or something nowhere near as intense as that. So it was about making sure my energy was intact. What is something that you are looking forward for um, people to see? I'm really looking forward uh, for people to see the ways. I think that's going to be a very um, special moment for the for the book fans um, and for the non-book fans. But I think for the book fans, it's going to be a very like special moment. I think you guys are really going to enjoy what we've um, what we've created. So yeah, I think the ways is a it's one of those highlights. It's definitely a highlight moment in the season. Uh, as someone who has kind of like come into this uh, from an, a new perspective, you know, like I've, I know so many people, we've, I've been reading those books since I was like 15 years old, but mm-hmm. something that has been really fun is to see how new viewers are coming in and, and new people are discovering the series. Um, is there something that you are excited to see later on down the line? Uh, how far have you gotten into the story yourself? Or are you kind of like waiting as an actor to be keep yourself in that space? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I think it's the latter for me. I'm sort of waiting. You know, I don't want to give too much away to myself. <laughs> to myself. Is that a cop? I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> I, think, I, think I'm, I think I'm more excited about, uh, I think, the, the, I think, the exciting thing for me right now is people who have never read the books are now starting to read the books and that's really special you know like my my brother my younger brother he he started watching the series and um he he sends me like weekly reviews of every episode which i think is hilarious but he's now reading the books uh or he now wants wants to read the books which i think is just so cool because now it's just like it's kind of we've opened up a new thing for a new generation, a new group of people who started watching the series and now, you know, have such a love for the series and now want to create a love for the books, which I think is incredible. So I think that's the most exciting thing for me right now. I think in the future, I think it will be, I guess, doing the same thing, just, you know, making the books accessible to everyone. I think we want to, and I I don't want to speak to, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I know that I want Willow Time to like go out far and wide not just the series, but the books also. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very special thing that's happening right now. Uh, that is all the time I have, but thank you so much. This was so delightful. Oh, thank you. It's been great. TV show recap episodes will drop on Saturdays, probably mostly, definitely for the last two episodes. Uh, and we'll pick back up in January with a new spring. Our regular old book recap episodes will still go up every other Wednesday. Um, And you can follow along with the conversation and all of that either on Patreon or with the hashtag TarValen or Bust. Speaking of Patreon, huge thanks to all of our supporters, Akhil A, Gretchen W, Klista R, Carolyn P, Joe E, James K, Mathis, Joseph S, Ryan M, Sarah Rebecca, Kelly T, Helen D, Joshua M, Michael D, Dre, M. Lethem, Janae H., Jennifer P., Peace Vulcan, Rio W., Christina G., Chaitali S., Charlie E., Arcade, Stephen S., James, Barry Q., Ruth A., Catherine, Jetlag Jessica, support your local library. <laughs> Sam S., David U., Amy R., Maradim, Mimi K., Amanda, Mark D., Heather J., Christina M., Malia H., 
Keith, Sirius G, Olivia K, Joshua S, Nicholas E, Michelle S, Michelle D, Danae, Destination Toast, MJ, Kat S, Jericho W, Sabre Bouquet, Thomas K, Elizabeth F, Emily, Evans K, Ola J, Yulia S, and Brian D. Uh, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tarvalin or bust. Uh, big things also go out to Brian Dunn, our fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician who created the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. You can find more of his work at BrianDunnMusic.net, and that is Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review and or rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We really like reading them, and uh, I think it helps other people find the show, so we super appreciate it. You can find us on. <laughs> uh, you can find me <laughs> at, uh, on basically everything Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr at Run with Skizzers, S K I Z Z E R S. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, that's J E N N I R L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And this episode is not the ending, because there are neither beginnings nor endings to the Wheel of Time. But it is an ending. Bye-bye. <laughs>